Section 28 of Through Fairy Halls of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Engel. Through Fairy Halls of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. Little Nell and Mrs. Jarley's Waxworks. By Charles Dickens. It was not a shabby, dingy, dusty cart, but a smart little house upon wheels, with white dimity curtains festooning the windows, and window-shutters of green picked out with panels of red. Neither was it a gypsy caravan, for at the open door, graced with a bright brass knocker, sat a lady stout and comfortable to look upon, her bonnet trembling with bows. And this lady's occupation was the very pleasant one of taking tea. The tea-things, including a cold knuckle of ham, were set forth upon a drum, covered with a white napkin, and there, as if at the most convenient round-table in all the world, sat this roving lady. It happened that at that moment she had her cup to her lips, and it was not until she was in the act of setting it down that she beheld an old man and a young child walking slowly by and glancing at her tea-things with longing eyes. "'Hey!' cried the lady of the caravan, shortly but kindly. "'Who are you?' The child, who was a pretty little blue-eyed girl, answered in a soft voice, "'My name is Nell.' Then she took the hand of the old man with a tender, protecting air, as though he were the child and she his mother. "'And this is my grandfather.' "'Can you tell us how far we shall have to walk before we come to the next town?' The stout lady answered that the next town was at least eight miles off. This information a little discouraged the child, who could scarcely keep back a tear as she glanced along the darkening road. Her grandfather made no complaint, but he sighed heavily as he leaned upon his staff, and vainly tried to see into the dusty distance." The lady of the caravan was about to gather her tea-things together and clean the table, but, noting the child's anxious manner, she hesitated and stopped. The child curtsied, thanked her for her information, and had already led the old man some fifty yards or so away, when the lady of the caravan called to her to return. "'Come nearer, nearer still,' said she, beckoning to her to ascend the steps. "'Are you hungry, child?' "'Not very, but we are tired, and it's—it is a long way. "'Is your home in the next town?' "'No, we have no home. We are wanderers.' "'Well, hungry or not, you had better have some tea. "'I suppose you are agreeable to that, old gentleman.' "'The grandfather humbly pulled off his hat and thanked her. "'The lady of the caravan then bade him come up the steps likewise, "'but the drum proving too small a table for two, they went down again and sat upon the grass, where she handed them the tea-tray, the bread and butter, the knuckle of ham, and in short everything of which she had eaten herself. "'Set him out near the hind wheels, child. That's the best place,' she said, directing the arrangements from above. "'Now hand up the teapot for a little more hot water and a pinch of fresh tea, and then both of you eat and drink as much as you can, and don't spare anything. That's all I ask of you.' So the two made a hearty meal, and enjoyed it to the utmost. While they were thus engaged, the lady of the caravan alighted on the earth, and with her hands clasped behind her, 
and her large bonnet trembling excessively, walked up and down in a very stately manner, looking over the caravan from time to time, with an air of calm delight, and enjoying particularly the red panels and the brass knocker, of which she was very proud. When she had taken this gentle exercise for some time, she sat down upon the steps and called, "'George!' whereupon a man in a carter's frock, who had been hidden from sight in a hedge, parted the twigs that concealed him and appeared in a sitting attitude, supporting on his legs a baking-dish, and bearing in his right hand a knife, and in his left a fork. "'Yes, missus,' said George. "'How did you find the cold pie, George? It warn't a miss, mum.' "'We are not a heavy load, George. Would these two travellers make much difference to the horses if we took them with us?' asked his mistress pointing to Nell and the old man, who were painfully preparing to resume their journey on foot. "'They'd make a difference in course,' said George doggedly. But his mistress turned to the old man and the child, and told them they should go on to the town with her in the caravan. Nell was overjoyed and thanked the lady earnestly. She helped with great readiness to put away the tea-things, and, the horses being by that time harnessed, mounted into the vehicle followed by her delighted grandfather. The lady then shut the door, and sat herself down by her drum at an open window. The steps were taken down by George, and stowed under the carriage. Then away they went, with a great noise of flapping and creaking and straining, and the bright brass knocker, which nobody ever knocked at, knocking one perpetual double knock of its own accord as they jolted along. When they had travelled slowly forward for some short distance, Nell ventured to look round the caravan and observe it more closely. One half of it was carpeted, and so partitioned off at the further end as to form a sleeping-place, made after the fashion of a berth on board ship. This was shaded, like the little windows, with fair white curtains, and looked comfortable enough. Though by what kind of gymnastic exercise the lady of the caravan ever managed to get into it was a mystery. The other half served for a kitchen, and was fitted up with a stove whose small chimney passed through the roof. It held also a closet or larder, several chests, a great pitcher of water, and a few cooking utensils. These latter necessaries hung upon the walls, which were also ornamented with a triangle and a couple of well-thumbed tambourines. The lady of the caravan sat at one window, and little Nell and her grandfather at the other while the machine jogged on. At first the two travellers spoke little, and only in whispers, but as they grew more familiar with the place, they ventured to talk about the country through which they were passing, and the different objects that presented themselves, until the old man fell asleep. The lady of the caravan, seeing this, invited Nell to come and sit beside her. "'Well, child,' she said, "'how do you like this way of travelling?' Nell replied that she thought it was very pleasant indeed. Then, getting up, the lady brought out from a corner a large roll of canvas, about a yard in width, which she laid upon the floor and spread open with her foot, until it nearly reached from one end of the caravan to the other. "'There, child,' she said proudly, "'read that!' Nell walked down it and read aloud, in enormous black letters, the inscription, "'Jarley's Wax Works!' "'Read it again,' said the lady, enjoying the fine-sounding words. "'Jarley's Wax Works,' repeated Nell. 
"'That's me,' said the lady. "'I am Mrs. Charlie.' And she unfolded another scroll, whereon was written, "'One hundred figures the full size of life.' And then another, "'The only stupendous collection of real waxwork in the world.' And then several smaller scrolls, with such inscriptions as, "'Now being shown within, the genuine and only Jarley. "'If I knowed a donkey wot wouldn't go "'to see Mrs. Jarley's waxwork show,' Do you think I'd acknowledge him? Oh, no, no. Then run to Jarley's. I never saw any waxwork, ma'am, said Nell. Is it funnier than Punch? Funnier, said Mrs. Jarley in a shrill voice. It is not funny at all. It's figures of people made out of wax and so like life that if waxwork only spoke and walked about, you'd hardly know the difference. Is it here in the cart, ma'am? asked Nell, whose curiosity was awakened by this description. "'Is what here, child?' "'The waxworks, ma'am.' "'Why, bless you, child. What are you thinking of? How could such a collection be here, where you see everything except the inside of one little cupboard and a few boxes? It's gone on in the other vans to the assembly rooms, and there it'll be exhibited the day after tomorrow. You are going to the same town, and you'll see it, I dare say.' "'I shall not be in the town, I think, ma'am,' said the child. "'Not there!' cried Mrs. Jarley. "'Then where will you be?' "'I—I I don't quite know. I'm not certain.' "'What curious people you are! "'You don't mean to say that you're travelling about the country without knowing where you're going to?' said the lady of the caravan. "'We are poor people, ma'am,' returned Nell, "'and are only wandering about. We have nothing to do. I wish we had.' "'You amaze me more and more,' said Mrs. Jarley, after remaining for some time as silent as one of her own figures. At length she summoned the driver to come under the window at which she was seated, and held a long conversation with him in a low tone, as if she were asking his advice on an important point. Then she drew in her head again, and, seeing the grandfather had awakened, said, "'Do you want a good place for your granddaughter to work, master?' If you do, I can put her in the way of getting one. I can't leave her, answered the old man. We can't separate. What would become of me without her? If you want to employ yourself too, said Mrs. Jarley, there would be plenty for you to do in the way of helping to dust the figures and so forth. What I want your granddaughter for is to point out to the company. She would soon learn who the figures are, and she has a way with her that people wouldn't think unpleasant though she does come after me, for I've always been accustomed to go round with visitors myself. It's not a common offer, bear in mind, said the lady, rising in the grand tone in which she was accustomed to address her audiences. It's Jarley's waxworks, remember. As to salary, she could pledge herself to no certain sum until she had seen what Nell could do, and watched her in the performance of her duties. But board and lodging, both for her and her grandfather, she bound herself to provide, and she furthermore passed her word that the board should always be good and plentiful. Nell and her grandfather consulted together while Mrs. Jarley, with her hands behind her, walked up and down the caravan with uncommon dignity. "'Now, child,' cried Mrs. Jarley, coming to a halt as Nell turned toward her. "'We are very much obliged to you, ma'am,' said Nell, "'and thankfully accept your offer.' "'And you'll never be sorry for it,' returned Mrs. Jarley. "'I'm pretty sure of that. "'So as that's all settled, let's have us a bit of supper.' 
In the meanwhile, the caravan came at last upon the paved streets of a town which were clear of passengers and quiet, for it was by this time near midnight, and the townspeople were all abed. As it was too late an hour to go to the room where they were to show the waxworks, they turned aside into a piece of waste ground that lay just within the old town gate, and drew up there for the night, near to another caravan, which was employed in carrying the wonderful figures from place to place. This machine being empty, for it had left the waxworks at the place of exhibition, was pointed out to the old man as his sleeping-place for the night, and within its wooden walls Nell made him up the best bed she could from the materials at hand. For herself she was to sleep in Mrs. Jarley's own travelling carriage, as a mark of that lady's favour and confidence. Sleep hung upon the eyelids of the child so long that, when she awoke, Mrs. Jarley was already decorated with her large bonnet, and actively engaged in preparing breakfast. She received Nell's apology for being so late, with perfect good humour, and said that she should not have roused her if she had slept on until noon. The meal finished, Nell assisted to wash the cups and saucers, and put them in their proper places. These household duties performed, Mrs. Jarley arrayed herself in an exceedingly bright shawl for the purpose of making a very grand appearance as she walked through the streets of the town. "'The van will come on after me to bring the boxes,' said Mrs. Jarley. "'And you had better come in it, child. I am obliged to walk, very much against my will, but the people expect it of me. They must have a look at Mrs. Jarley, owner of the one and only Jarley's Waxworks. How do I look, child?' Nell returned a satisfactory reply, and Mrs. Jarley, after sticking a great many pins into various parts of her figure, and trying several times to see her own back, was at last satisfied with her appearance, and went forth majestically. The caravan followed at no great distance. As it went jolting through the street, Nell peeped from the window, curious to see in what kind of place they were. It was a pretty large town, with an open square, in the middle of which was the town hall, with a clock tower and a weathercock. There were houses of stone, houses of red brick, houses of yellow brick, houses of plaster, and houses of wood, many of them very old, with withered faces carved upon the beams, and staring down into the street. These had very little winking windows and low-arched doors, and in some of the narrower ways quite overhung the pavement. The streets were very clean, very sunny, very empty, and very dull. Nothing seemed to be going on but the clocks, and they had such drowsy faces, such heavy, lazy hands, and such cracked voices, that they surely must have been too slow. The very dogs were asleep. Rumbling along with most unwanted noise, the caravan stopped at last at the place of exhibition, where Nell dismounted amidst an admiring group of children, who evidently supposed her to be one of the wax figures. The chests were soon taken in to be unlocked by Mrs. Jarley, who, attended by George and another man, was waiting to decorate the room with the red festoons and other ornaments that came from the chests. As the stupendous collection was yet concealed by cloths, lest the dust should injure their complexions, Nell bestirred herself to help, and her grandfather also was of great service. The two men, being well used to it, did a great deal in a short time, and Mrs. Jarley served out the tin tacks from a linen pocket which she wore for the purpose. When the festoons were all put up, as tastily as they might be, 
the stupendous collection was uncovered. There were displayed, on a raised platform some two feet from the floor, running round the room and parted from the public by a crimson rope, a number of wax figures as big as life, singly and in groups. They were clad in glittering dresses of various climes and times, and standing more or less unsteadily upon their legs, with their eyes wide open, and all their faces expressing great surprise. All the gentlemen were very pigeon-breasted, and very blue about the beards, and all the ladies and all the gentlemen were looking intensely nowhere, and staring with extraordinary earnestness at nothing. When Nell was over her first joy at this glorious sight, Mrs. Jarley gave her a willow wand, long used by herself for pointing out the characters, and was at great pains to tell her just what she must do. Soon Nell knew all about the fat man, and the thin man, the tall man, the short man, the wild boy of the woods, and other historical characters. And so apt was she to remember them all, that she was soon perfectly able to guide all visitors. Mrs. Jarley then took her young friend and pupil to see the other arrangements. The passage had been changed into a grove of green cloth, hung with the inscriptions she had already seen. A highly ornamented table was placed at the upper end for Mrs. Jarley herself, where she was to sit and take the money, in company with Majesty King George III, Mary, Queen of Scots, and other important personages. The preparations without doors had not been neglected either, for a beautiful nun was standing on a balcony over the door, and a brigand, with the blackest possible head of hair, and the clearest possible complexion, was at that moment being taken round the town in a cart. In the midst of the various plans for attracting visitors to the show, little Nell was not forgotten. Decorated with paper flowers, she was given a seat beside the brigand in the cart, dressed with flags and streamers, wherein he rode. In this state and ceremony she rode slowly through the town every morning, giving out handbills from a basket to the sound of drum and trumpet. The beauty of the child, coupled with her gentle bearing, produced quite a sensation in the little country place. Grown-up folks began to be interested in the bright-eyed girl, and some score of little boys left nuts and apples directed to her at the waxwork store. All this interest in Nell was not lost upon Mrs. Jarley, who soon sent the brigand out alone again, and kept Nell in the showroom, so that the people who were interested in her would pay to come inside, where she described figures every half-hour to the great satisfaction of all. Although her duties were not easy, Nell found in the lady of the caravan a very kind and considerate person, who not only liked to be comfortable herself, but wished to make everybody about her comfortable also. So Nell and her grandfather found a comfortable home for some time with Mrs. Jarley's Waxworks. End of section 28 Recording by Jill Engel, 